if we have to get discovered fast and give us a real chance of participating in enough races to prove that our product is the best that's out there in the market, the first problem I need to solve is to get in enough races and participate in enough races. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, we have Pritesh Vora. He is VP of Marketing and Growth at Sprinto. He comes on to share a lot of lessons that he's had in the B2B marketing space and his three-pronged strategy for growing a B2B company with marketing. So I think if you're in the B2B space, you sell software, you're thinking about that, this is a good episode for you to really take in and think about how you can apply you know, the lessons that Pratesh shares to your journey. Now, before we get into this, as always, we put on this show here at Cave. We're a social media agency based out of LA. We help companies grow through paid media on social social, creative production, and organic content. So if you need any help with your social, whether you're B2B, B2C, whatever, head over to cavesocial.com. We'd love to help you out. All right, now let's sit back, relax, and get into this episode. Hey, Pritesh, welcome to the show. Hey, Jordan. Thank you for having me here. All right, I want to hop right in. So if you had the chance to go back and look at your younger self at JJ, I might butcher this, Ajmera High School in Bangalore, you're there, you're a young kid, you're graduating. If you got to go back and talk to him and give him maybe uh, some advice on where his life was going to take him, what would you tell that kid? <laughs> well, that, that can open up can of a Pandora's box and that that may this time may be too short to do anything <laughs> but if I have to take a shot at this is to maybe reconsider or even show what should be prioritized or valued at any given stage of your life and if that's something that I can go back and tell myself you know this is what is more important to look at right now you know go ahead and do this and not the other one because that's what everyone else is doing or that's what seems more important to you. Yeah, that rings a bell with me because I felt like when I was younger, I was in this race to grow up and I probably should have just chilled out and enjoyed a little bit at times. So that is a good one. Now, you've had quite the career journey. You've started, exited companies, you've been involved with software. I mean, you were doing midnight meetups in Bangalore to talk about AI and bots in 2016. Now, I mean, AI and bots today, sure, everybody's talking about it. But when we rewind the clock to go seven years ago, you're in those rooms talking about this. Did a lot of what you were talking about in those rooms, did it manifest in the way that you all thought it would? Or has maybe AI taken a little bit in terms with, you know, where the technology has gone, but also its marketing application? Has it gone to a different path than maybe what you envisioned? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring that up. You know, almost five, six years ago when chatbot and, and AI was the new hot thing in the business space, I was very curious to learn more about it. And one of the best ways I thought to learn more about this is to go ahead and on the field and test what's out there. So I would officially nominate myself to in those groups and, and communities and say, you know what, if you build something new, shoot it at me, I'll test it out for you. And that gave me exposure of the variety of use cases that people were looking at that they wanted to develop to what kind of problems were they keen or interested to solve in, right? So it gave me a wide spectrum of use cases and the helped me also understand the limitations that's associated with the technology at that given point of time. A lot of people were very enthusiastic from a typical hype cycle for any new technology that would come in, but also it showed a lot of promise on what is possible in the future. And I truly want to think the biggest barrier at that point of time, 
uh, when we were trying to do something was the availability or accessibility of technology uh, or easy accessibility of technology to help build solutions on top of it. In those days, it was only limited to people with more power, more money and the likes, uh, only people who were technical enough. And you have to give kudos to Sam for OpenAI. He truly democratized this and put just like the days of mobile where Apple put the power of computing on everyone's mobile. I think this open AI is, is another revolution where AI is now being able to put in the hands of every common people. And I'm very excited. A lot of things that we thought were going to be done back in the day, I can see them manifest right now. One of the big examples that I was closely watching, and I want to bring that example specifically because it does ring a bell. And I was very pleasantly surprised when that happened was even Dharmesh Shah of HubSpot, even he wanted to jump on the chatbot bandwagon back in the day in six to seven years. And very quickly, I think he realized the limitation of that, of what's possible and what is not. And I think it went silent after that. And come early this year, I think he took up that passion project of his. And I can see how it has manifested from what it used to be to what it is now. And in simple terms, if I have to summarize this, things used to be back in five, seven years, all the products or use cases that were being made, they used to be dumb systems or dumb entities. And now the biggest difference is with the democratization of AI, I see those dumb entities transform into intelligent entities. And that's very heartening to see because that opens a world of use cases that can benefit every professional, not just in the professional, but even in the personal life. It makes sense. And it's, I boil it down to an example, like, you know, chatbots five, six years ago was essentially taking a phone tree and putting it online. And it was a horrible experience. Nobody wants to talk to a phone tree. Press three if you need to do a return. Like those are horrible customer experiences. Every all know that when you have to call your bank or something and you're just like, let me talk to a person. And as the AI is getting better now, it's actually able to solve your unique problem or get close to solving, not just having one of like, you know, five FAQs that it's essentially a program to respond to. So I do like that. Now, a couple of companies, you're at Sprinto, you're the VP marketing growth. I did hear a talk that you gave and you were talking about B2B marketing, really and this three-pronged approach that you took, which I'm going to pull up here. You had it was how you build things on autopilot, the Times Square effect, and utilizing an unfair advantage. So if you could just unpack in the B2B space, those three, and let's start with the autopilot. I'm really interested on that. And anyone listening who's in the B2B space right now, and is thinking like, you know, maybe they're a two or three person marketing team, and they're going like, oh my God, (laughs) I can't grow more arms. How do I get things kind of moving in a predictable sequence? How did you approach that in the autopilot side of things? Yeah. I think one of the questions I constantly keep asking myself is, and I hope it's okay if I give some context to it in, yeah. in the way things have also progressed, but five, seven, ten years ago, building a SaaS product used to be unique in the sense uh, you can build a SaaS product will have a moat depending on the kind of product that you're building, the kind of technology that you're leveraging. The last few years, That has significantly changed, and I like to call that SaaS cannibalization. The moment with the amount of money that's available in the market that's been flushed into the system, the moment there is one player who comes out with a solution or a product, you'll see copycats springing up everywhere, trying to capitalize on it, flushed with money. And the time to the gap to catch up has reduced considerably, which used to be 18 to 24 months earlier. 
Now you'll see uh, companies catching up to others in less than six months. And you know, that's kind of scary. You thought you were the leader or you were the first in the space and suddenly you will find yourself trying to survive, right? And that's the big shift that I see. So in my opinion, one of the biggest challenges that exists for anyone in the space that's building a SaaS product is discoverability. Given the pace at which the products can be cloned, in today's world, if you do not have discoverability figured out, it will be dead sooner than we think, right? So with that context, even in the previous startup, so this talk that you're referring to was recently at earlier this year at SaaS Open, and I was trying to reflect on some of the learnings from my previous startup. And that product was a cybersecurity product in the WordPress space, but in our deep red ocean market. And it was a bootstrap startup. So we had no alternatives. I couldn't afford a 20, 30 person marketing team. And we had to do, I was the main marketer there. And we had a couple of interns and others helping us try to do that. And now we were coming, we were strongly handicapped and coming from behind in order to even gain any kind of traction to kind of launch in a red ocean market is always uh, scary. And the tactics of build and they will come, you know, has been beaten to that no longer works, right? So I always, and even today in current startup, I always believe in that concept that we need to figure out ways in which we are discoverable faster than others. It's a race and you have to be able to discover faster than others if you have ambitious growth goals that you want to chase. So with that context, when we were entering or launching the product, I said, if we go the traditional route, I don't have millions of dollars to spend on discoverability. And if we have to get discovered fast and give us a real chance of participating in enough races to prove that our product is the best that's out there in the market, the first problem I need to solve is to get in enough races and participate in enough races, right? So the autopilot scheme that I spoke about is is broadly three-part strategy that we used. The first thing we knew that the first thing that we did and we understood that it's not going to go anywhere if we don't jumpstart our traction. If we can't get our initial user base and get the word of mouth flowing, this isn't going to go anywhere. And we can't afford to take four quarters to do that because the market is already, the pace at which the markets evolve, markets are going to run away with with whoever does it fastest, right? So in order to figure that out, we took a non-traditional approach, which now seems common, but I'm talking, you know, four or five years ago, is we said, how do we best get jumpstart the traction that we are trying to build? We can't go the traditional route of trying to be in front of doing SEO because that takes its own gestation period. It will have, it will take a gestation period of a few quarters. But how do we jumpstart this? So we explored a lot of options. Finally, what we realized is the community that we belong in is a very strong, there's a strong word of mouth and peer network that they depend on. And if you're able to crack a certain part of that community fast enough, we may be able to jumpstart that traction and get on the train. So we had a lot of options that we explored Finally, what we decided on, which seemed like for us to be the fastest way to jumpstart was to launch a lifestyle dean on AppSumo. There was a lot of nervousness revolved around it for people who know AppSumo. They know that you don't make any money out of it. So we had to internally align ourselves on what our expectations should be from that. Do you want to make money? Do you see this as a distribution mechanism? How do you see it? Thankfully, internally between me and my CEO, we were internally aligned that we see this platform purely as a distribution channel and we don't expect any revenue to come out of it. Think of this as a customer acquisition cost to get your initial users. That's the mindset that we went with. I'm glad that we took that decision because we very carefully identified if there was a product that was listed in our category anytime within 
uh, the duration that we were thinking to launch, what kind of reception has been there. And I can go on in itself that that chapter in itself deserves or would need me uh, to do a separate session on how we executed and how well we it turned out to be. I like this though, right? Is Is if you're getting into, you're starting a company, the idea of, yeah, building a moat and all of that, like, is hilarious today. And everyone can copy your tech or copy the feature and get it out. And yeah, it's been tech, large parts of it have been commoditized. You talked a little bit, it's a red ocean. So if you're a listener who's maybe first time hearing that, red ocean means there's a bunch of, the demand is there, there's existing players there. You have to compete. You got to win the races. You got to eat each other. It causes blood in the ocean. Hence the ocean is red. I like this idea though, that, hey, what's the quickest way that we can get in as many races? And make sure that we're always in the races because eventually if we can do that and we go, great, we're going to pitch a hundred companies and we know that we're going to win on five or 10. Okay. Now we can just try to get a vehicle to get 200 leads, to get 500 leads and get something that we know, great, we're going to close between five and 15 or five and 20. And if you're the greatest salesman of all time, sure, maybe you're closing 25% of your leads. Yeah. But, but creating those systems and looking in your own industry and go, oh, where can we be positioned as an ally to the community? Because when you're an ally to the community, they will refer you and talk about you. So like you said, going and creating a, a low to no cost channel for the consumer with places like AppSumo. For anyone unfamiliar, AppSumo does lifetime giveaways of uh, software. And they'll do it for like a, you know, you'll pay once and you'll get lifetime use of a software. So it's a great way to go. Moving on to the next part. And I want to talk about this Times Square effect. I love the name of this for B2B, which is, okay, being everywhere. How do you approach or how do you do this? If I'm a software or maybe it's Sprinto, how do you all think about being everywhere, you know, from an impression standpoint, I guess, or a touch point standpoint with the consumer? Yeah, that's a great question. And before I close, I want to... Uh, go back to the previous and just close the loop. So AppSumo, we were very conscious of the fact that this is only going to help us jumpstart and not really build an autopilot system for us. But the amount of planning that had gone into that launch was carefully planned to ensure that that becomes an autopilot machine. And we only did it once, the launch, and we didn't do it recurring, right? So it was only to get the initial jump and then build an autopilot system. So to build the autopilot, we had done a few more things. One of the things which we had done was the popular badge embed program where any lifetime user would be required to embed a badge on their website. And that naturally drew in the virality and our exposure. So that solved for the initial awareness or discoverability problem for us, which put us on the autopilot. There were many other things that we did. I'm just going to talk about how we did in the initial phases. Right. The second part of the Times Square effect, that's again, all of these are revolved around the discoverability problem. You are a new kid on the block. No one knows you. You're not popular. And everyone is looking at you with skeptical eyes. So the objective is similar. How do you get into enough races, qualify in enough races to be able to win, to even have an opportunity to win? And that meant that A, we had to be perceived as being bigger than we are. And we had to be in enough places so that people get a perception that these guys are credible. And I keep hearing about them often enough for me to consider their solution, right? You know, people, generally, everyone would like to believe, oh, yeah, they'll come to the site, they'll see it once, if they like it, they'll buy it. It's it's not e-commerce, but what goes behind the scenes is always there are multiple touches involved before a final decision is being made. And those multiple touches can happen across multiple platforms, and not just on your website, but they would go to review sites, they'll go to listings, they'll go to groups 
they'll go to their peer network in order to validate their findings and then get a recommendation before making that final purchase decision. So we were aware of this conundrum that we had to be present in as many places as possible for us to even get a chance to participate in the race and then finally help convert the customers that we get. Also, we realized the other realization was that, yeah, I'll invest in SEO. I'm I'm a hardcore fan of SEO. So we started investing in content from day one, but I knew that it's going to take some time and we can't wait for that to kick in before building a pipeline. So I had to do something in the interim. And I said, you know what? I'm not the popular kid right now, but there are popular kids around, already around where people, where my target personas or prospects are already going, researching, reading content, or even exploring content from their place. So why don't we piggyback on them? Why don't we piggyback on their success, on their popularity, and get in front of the audience that we want to be? And that's how we launched a program to piggyback and started building not just links, but also started posting on websites which already had the traffic and audience that we wanted to reach out to. And just to jump in there for a sec, see, people hate on, I always find this funny when people are like, guest posting is bad. And I'm like, no, shitty guest posting is bad. If you go create great content for somebody who has distribution, that's called a free commercial. You know, we did the same strategy early on where we said, oh, we noticed that certain publications were lacking in video. So I said, we can go and create video for them. And with full marketing tips, all of these things, they publish it, they put it in their newsletter. Now, when we go to pitch their clientele, people have seen us before and we get a stamp of approval you know, from that publication. So it's a beautiful strategy when you execute it, like you're saying, when you actually go out, give great content and then give great content to other sites, but also understand that, We have to do two things at once to feed the company. One, we have to farm. That is content. That's SEO. Crops take a long time to come. Two, we got to go hunt with our spears. And that's paid distribution. And we got to go kill that boar tonight. (laughs) And we get what we, you know, we only get fed when we hunt. So I like to think about those two things to feed the company. And those are the metaphors I always come back to. Now, I do want to move us along just to... We've gone through, okay, we have to get in races. We have to understand the halo effect being everywhere, just giving our credibility to our company. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, which is looking at the unfair advantage and positioning that of the company, but two, how do you do that or identify that when there's so much noise in the marketplace? So speak to me a little bit about, it seems like everyone's banging pots and pans right now in the marketplace and it's hard to understand who's actually playing music. So how do you all, you know, understand what's a signal, what's noise for your marketing team? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, this was precisely what we, the challenge that we faced even at the previous company in trying to identify any loose or white space that exists. And my first recommendation generally is if you do not have a large resource team in-house, you know, you rely on user-generated content in order to come up with your strategy. So for unfair advantage, the strategy that we took was to try and farm online and try and aggregate. It was a painful exercise, but I knew that it is a one-time limited pain exercise. But go online. People are talking about it. And understanding your audience helps you to take that first step. So we knew that our target audience loves talking online. They love sharing about their opinions. And that understanding also told us that, you know, it will be easier to go out in the market and do a secondary research just to identify what are the challenges that currently exist in the market with respect to the product in this category. And that exercise, although it was painful, it had to be done manually. There was no great way of doing it. Uh, You can't automate that. Uh, But that 
gave us an insight into some white spaces that existed. That's one part of the puzzle, right? Identifying one gap that exists. But it's equally important to figure out if there is a credible way in which you can fill that gap, which is also sustainable and which becomes an advantage for you that others can't copy, right? In the era of cannibalization, like you try and find a gap and if it's something related to a feature or something, it can easily be cannibalized and replicated by your companies and you'll only have that moat for maybe a quarter or so. But the trick lies in being able to successfully identify the gap that exists and turning that into an advantage which others can't copy or it's very difficult for them to copy and still be sustainable. For us, there were a few things that we had identified, but one of the things that we realized was live chat support or support in our category. People were complaining constantly about support and you know the cost of having a person to be there on live chat is significantly higher. It's extremely high, but thankfully we had multiple offices in multiple places. We figured out a play where we can get support from low-cost countries, train them, and make them available on live chat support while ensuring the quality does not depreciate. And this allowed us to give that unfair advantage and go on the loudspeaker and talk about it that, you know, we have 24-7 live chat support available to you, which we knew is almost impossible for our competitors to replicate. And that gave us an unfair advantage in the market and for a fairly long time before others started realizing or even trying to replicate and building that into the company. And on that type of thing, right? I always call this scaling the unscalable because we obsess about what can we scale? What can we scale? When truly individualized experiences aren't, sure, AI is making it somewhat scalable, but real individualized experience between company and consumer is not something you scale. It's something you put effort in and do. That's from live chat support to actual handwritten notes, thank yous to sending, I mean, sending gift baskets. These things take real time. And if you're able to do that, sure, somebody can copy you, but they can never actually copy the exact process you do and the relationship you have. So I I love that. Pratesh, before I let you go, can you let people know where is the best place to follow you and connect with you online? Yeah, I think LinkedIn has been a poison of late. So feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. You'll find me as Pritesh Vora uh, on LinkedIn. I'm hoping there are not thousands of them online with that. It should be easy to. I'll put the link in the show notes so people know if they're listening, just go and click it and you'll go right to Pratesh's, uh, right to his profile. Thanks again for coming on today. This was awesome. My pleasure, Jordan. Thank you for making it easy for me. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. Please hit like, share, subscribe, all those good buttons at the bottom of your podcast or YouTube app. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.